Welcome to episode 421 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Sunday, January 29th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how's it going? Uh, it's going. Um, I was able to actually get home and, and be home for a weekend, which is huge with my schedule. Three straight weeks of being on the road Monday to Friday. Um, so I was able to enjoy some time home. And uh, before I forget, uh, we uh, we have uh, labor draft coming up on February the 13th. Couple weeks. And I, I wanted I wanted to give you a little bit of heads up on my travel schedule. So we have that's Monday, February thirteenth. And then I looked, and I was like, oh man, I have a five fifty a.m. flight on Valentine's Day. <gasps> now, folks will recall last year, I missed that particular flight because we were up recording until ten o'clock, and I overslept. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a, changed my travel plan. So I will be in Columbus, Ohio, in plenty of time to be online for that draft and not have to worry about waking up at three o'clock in the morning. Perfect. It also worked out because I had to get, I had to get to Ohio a day earlier anyhow, because my business on Tuesday was going to start earlier than I had thought. Um, but uh, that's going to allow us, if you want to clear your schedules for our labor preview show on February 12th, we will be having a labor preview show and we may not post it until the 14th, uh, but <laughs> we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff or we may just do the live the live thing again. Maybe we'll do both. Maybe we'll do a preview well, and then do something while... We while... got a lot of good feedback on the live thing. Yeah, um, I'll be doing and some... I definitely, I, and now that I'm going to be home all night, um, as long as the uh, hotel internet behaves, I can do it. Maybe we do something like a live stream during the draft. Um, not just like... We had the stream of consciousness, consciousness that we recorded and then posted. Maybe we could do live streaming somewhere while we're drafting. Facebook? We'll figure it out. Yeah, I was going to say Facebook Live. And my colleagues would love that. Can you have multiple people in that, though? I don't know. How would I have to figure out something. We I only have one something. colleague that I, knows listen, that I know that listens to the show because they've told me. But it'll, it'll be it'll be great, whatever it is. You can guarantee that. Uh, by the way, I did a solo episode on Friday and called it episode 421. That was my mistake. It was 420. This is 421. And uh, I have a guest, of course, or a co-host, I should say. Jason, good to have you back. It was fun to do a solo episode, though. It's a, it's an interesting dynamic when you're asking questions of yourself. But now I have <laughs> questions for you, and I have, a, I have a very pertinent, Jason-specific question here because of something you did in the Fantasy 411 mock draft that we're doing. We always do one right after the season with with the with the guys over there. Zach Steinhorn runs it. Usually guys like Lore, Michaels, Tim Heaney, uh Nando, Corey Schwartz, Ray Flowers, Fred Zinke, those types of guys, and, and Derek Van Riper. And then there's usually kind of some turnover for the second one, which is now. We, we, we wait a few months, let a lot, of, a lot of the offseason go, and we do another one. So we're in the midst of the second one, and you had the ninth pick. Was you it took, nine or ten? It was nine. Okay, oops. <laughs> and you took Max Scherzer. Now, was this just a let me try this out because it's a mock and, you know, it's against a really tough group and so we can try some things that'll be fun here? Or is this something that you're saying, you know what, this guy is a full-on first-rounder. Is Max Scherzer a true first-rounder for you? Uh, Yeah, he's a first-rounder. I I took the pick because I wasn't overly crazy about any of the hitters at that point. I mean, yes, I could have gone Donaldson for like the 15th time in the last three years in doing these mocks. Yeah, I could have done the boring and predictable, but I think Scherzer's a first-rounder. I mean, you look at the numbers, uh, he has the highest strikeout rate of all pitchers return year. You know, RIP Jose Fernandez was the only one who bested him. The swinging strike rate tops in the league. Uh, you know, when you look at the skills, they're elite. 
and I know that he had uh, some knuckle issue this offseason. But for me, the skills are elite, and I would have, you know, I liked when uh, Derek took, uh, I think he took Kershaw either sixth or seventh, and I would have done the same if I was sitting there. Did, yeah, but we've seven. never, I don't think we've ever had two pitchers go in the first round. Maybe say, maybe in a deeper, in a 15, we've had Sale go 15 or something like that. Yeah, or maybe even Scherzer last year would go 15 in some leagues. Not necessarily like ones that, that right? we were in. Wheel, but two but, top uh, 10, I don't think we've ever seen that. And just, no. it really came down to the point where, okay, I'm not crazy about the uh, any of the hitters at this point. Like so Harper. let me go, let me go. And I looked, I looked at Harper, Harper or Donaldson, really what I looked at. And I was like, you know, we know where that path goes. Let me try something different because I knew I wanted Trey Turner in the second round. If he was, was making you, it back to me, I was going to take him. You did so, get Trey Turner, and I'm going to ask you something about him in a minute. So finish up okay. on, on Scherzer, and then we'll get to his teammate there. So for me, it was like, okay, if I could, uh, I know I want Turner in the second. So do I take the power or take the pitching now, knowing that I'm going to take that batter in the second round? So if if I wait and all that pitching goes away, what's going to be who's going to be my staff ace in the third round? So I said, you know what? Let's go get the ace now. Let's get the elite speed, batting average, run scored in the second round, and then obviously I'm setting the table. My third round pick is going to be a big power bat. I don't love third round aces right now, by the way. So I, I definitely agree with you on that point, where you're looking at like a Lester, um, you Darvish. Who I, I do love, but I really like him more when he goes in that fourth round, and he's kind of he's kind of vacillating between the two, third and fourth round with for you Darvish. So I hope I get in some leagues where he is more fourth round and I can get him. I know it's not that big of a difference, but there's just a lot of bats I like in the third round that I've been taking. Um, that, so I don't really want to go with him. Arietta's around there too. I, you know, I like Arietta, but I think he's always a health concern. Um, I think that's a bigger concern than his actual skills. So I like what you did here. You went Scherzer Turner, two, two Nats in a row. The one, it's not even a quibble because I'm actually on board with Turner going high. I know this is, uh, you know, baseball, uh, football folks are transitioning over to baseball. Uh, a lot more and more each day. You know, Yahoo just opened up their fantasy baseball. That's kind of a point of demarcation for people to kind of get back in. And so in my Twitch streams where I'm playing MLB The Show and we're talking baseball, some people are just starting to look at average draft data. And they were actually someone just yesterday was like, Trey Turner's going in the first, second round? I'm like, yeah, this is – this." Is, or, or he was in a mock where it happened. I said, this is not a one-off. This is happening. This is This is where he's going. My question was between the, the the two would be Trey Turner. You took him over Charlie Blackman. Is that something that you're always doing, or are they pretty close for you? That's not something I'm really always doing. It was just kind of being locked in on something. When I, you know, you I made to have the this comment. Plan. Yeah, I mean, I made the comment on radio the other day on Saturday, talking to the the guys on XM. Uh, you know, when we look at power, the last two years has gone up. And stolen bases continue to go down, 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 down. And I think mm-hmm. it's a more precious category. So ultimately, that's what it came down to. Because you and I have talked for a while now how we think Turner is a 40-plus steal guy in 2017 that's with thing. his even speed and a manager who loves to run. Even if he only hits the same 13 homers that he did in, in 70, what was it, 75 games? 73 games. Even if he only hits that for 150, I don't even think that that's necessarily going to keep him from being a second-round value. If Trey Turner also steals 40 bases, uh, and that's kind of low. He stole 33 in those 73 games. So he could go 45. If he goes 13, 45 with 95 runs and, you know, 50, 60. I don't care about ribbies for a guy who's at batting 1-2 with a 290 average. You're telling me you don't love that in the second round as a shortstop? Because he's going to get shortstop eligibility immediately, five games in. 
and he already right. has outfield and second base. So not only that, too, but you also have, like, back in the day, just a couple of years ago, really, two years ago, uh, shortstop automatic, right? You definitely are putting him there. Well, shortstop has really thickened up, and so has second base. So it's nice that right. he has both, but you might actually end up find yourself using him in the outfield at certain points with Trey Turner because maybe you, you have a little bit of a shortness uh, there. So the fact that he's going to have three positions – and they're all really good positions. That sort of flexibility, I think, is worth, you know, if you're doing auction, an extra couple of bucks, particularly in deeper leagues where you have that flexibility. And what that frees you up to do is to get more free agents. You have the potential to get certain guys at different positions where you're not blocked off because you can move this piece here, this piece there, and boom, now you can afford the the, the corner infielder where maybe you, you couldn't if you were blocked off and you had uh, these DH-only guys or this third baseman-only guy. So I love that part of the flexibility. And again, particularly in deeper leagues, 15-plus teams, but even in shallower leagues, just anything that allows you to do more. So that's another hidden aspect of Trey Turner. He's going to have three positions, a little bit of punch, nothing great on the punch, but the runs – Massive stolen bases and batting average. So I totally get why you took him there. If you want Trey Turner this year and you're not willing to pay, then you better move on from that thought because you're not going to get him. His current average draft position is 11. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, let's do something like this. So give me the over-under, your gut feeling, Um, or or say equal, 319 batting average. Um, I'll go a little under. I'm feeling like a 290. I'm I'm sitting on that 290. 20 homers. I'm going under on that. 64 runs driven in. Um, I mean, if he's batting two, I can I can see that. He had 40 last year in 73 games. I think Trey Turner can get, what would you say, 64? Yeah. I can get behind that. He's so got I'll Adam, say, he's got Adam say Eaton even. in the 361 on-base percentage over the last three years sitting in front of him. Exactly. Um, 33 steals. Over. 102 runs. I'm actually, I, I kind of feel over on that. I know I said something like 95. That was just kind of a, a low end there. This team, I think, you know, I know we hype up the Nats. We being like baseball, like everyone gets hyped on, on their talent every year. I remember one year Brian Kenny was like, they're going to win 105 games. And we said, uh, we said all five guys were going to win 15 games. Exactly. Like it's all five easy starters. To get, and I think one of them did that year. It's easy to get hyped on this team, but I'm going right back to it. They still have tons of talent. So, my point is, yes, I'll say over on 105 okay. runs. That stat line that I just read off was Gene Segura's stat line last year, which was worth $29 in a 15-team mixed league. He was amazing. All right. And then if you, if, then if you look and say, okay, take uh, Jonathan Villar, who was 285 uh, over, 19, we'll say slightly under, 63 runs driven in, you know, maybe a little Even-ish, over, little 62 over. steals. No, that's definitely under 92 runs. Oh, wait. That was worth 28 bucks last year. Here's what I'm going to say, though. Maybe it's not. What if he absolutely runs wild? Not only did Trey Turner steal 33, but it was 33 out of 39, an 85% clip. And I understand that you can't just extrapolate those 73 games over 150 and say, boom, he's definitely going to get 68. But that's what it paces to. If he plays 150 games, that's what you're looking at is about 68. Is it that completely outlandish? This guy is a speed monster. That was supposed to be his game coming up. The fact that he popped 13 homers was really the big surprise. I think if anything's at risk of kind of uh, being upset, it's that he could hit like seven homers or something. And that wouldn't necessarily surprise me if Trey Turner didn't really have a huge power output. But when you have stolen bases and a great batting average, that can certainly overcome that. So if you're 
plan on the speed and average aspect of his game and take anything you can get uh, that's over like you know eight nine homers from from Trey Turner as gravy. I don't know. Maybe he could chase down sixty if if, they, if he's committed to just straight up burning the base pads, like you said. Got Davey Lopes at first base coaching, and Dusty Baker who's going to give green lights. So he could even go Jonathan VR. I don't even think that that's impossible from the speed aspect, not not the nineteen homers. I just I don't think he's going to add homers. I'm really kind of committed on Trey Turner going to be thirteen matches thirteen or be lower, but I'm not even worried about that as as like. A major factor to his uh, to his draft day value. So you went I mean, double nats there. I did. Some of it. Some of it feels. Some of the stuff with Turner feels a little bit like Carlos Correa last year, where mm-hmm. like, where does he go in the first round? And and he quote unquote disappointed, um, as most first round picks do, anyhow. Uh, but you know, on the low end, you look at what Eduardo Nunez did last year: two eighty eight, sixteen homers, sixty seven runs driven, and forty steals, seventy three. That to me, that's where Turner's floor is this year. So, you know, spending a $20 return out of a, what was that, the 14th, 15th overall pick isn't great, but that's kind of where I see Turner's floor this year. I love it. So I, I like I like your first two picks there. I had the, uh, what did I have here, third pick? Did I have third yeah, pick? I think you were third. Third pick, and I took Nolan Arenado. Would have taken him if I had the second pick because um, I'm trying some. I, I took Mookie Betts in Arizona with the second pick, so I'm completely fine with Tim Heating doing that. If I'd had second pick, I'd have gone Arenado here. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm actually going to try to practice what I preached a little bit in one of my ADP pieces where I was talking about going full Colorado and, and full meaning like just stack a bunch of them, not just blindly take them no matter what. Cause I actually with my second pick took Votto. So the very second pick, I was off of it, but I bounced back in the third with Trevor Story. So I've got two out of uh, my three right away and I'm probably going to come back with another one, uh, next time around. And then in the fifth, sixth rounds, I'm probably going to go out of Vino and John Gray. No, I'm just kidding. That was uh, just, <laughs> just a test. But no, I, I'm, I'm thinking that this is a good year. I, let's be honest. They're all probably good years to do it. But I'm interested in trying a, uh, a Colorado offense stack. I just love some of the dynamic players that they have. First off, the, the, you know, 4120 that Arenado's done the last two years is no worse than the third pick for me. And like I said, I'll take him as high as second. He's just so devastating. And I think there's a chance in the next year or two where he's going to have a 330 average just because of Coors. Like it, it's just going to – because he has pretty good contact for a power guy, that ballpark really inflates Babib. And I think he's just going to have one of those years where everything kind of falls into place for him. Instead of 280, it's going to be 330. And if you're doing that with 40 and 120, look out. That's going to be devastating. And then, of course, um, love Trevor's story. Love what he did last year. Stays healthy. Uh, you could you could see forty twenty. I don't not that's not the projection, but that's that's an easy upside that you can see. Here's a huge surprise for people. I love Ian Desmond. I'm going to be taking him probably soon in this draft if he doesn't get swiped out from under me. I don't care that he's not a first baseman. He's going to be outfielder for me, and so that's totally fine. You got Cargo, David Dahl, who I've talked about liking, DJ Lemayhew. Um, who I think is a solid second baseman. I'm not sure he's going to win another batting title, but uh, 300 seems kind of in the bank with the way that he hits. Uh, I love Blackman too, but it's hard to get Blackman and Story unless Blackman kind of falls back to where I uh, where I took Votto and he was gone. If he'd been there, I would have gone Blackman and gone and, and Story. And if you can get all three of those, that's amazing. But it's difficult because you have to have a pick early enough to get Arenado, um, and, and then 
get Blackman on the way back and Story. So it, it, it's tough to pull off that trifecta. That would be amazing. But that's where I'm at right now. I'm going. I'm going Rocky heavy with Votto there to. Uh, to, to join them. So we'll keep you updated on that. And you can also follow it. I'll put the link in. They're doing a, a on the MLB blog, the Fantasy 411 MLB blog, we put our commentary pieces on there. So Zach Steinhorn keeps that updated. And you can see a little paragraph or, or two about how we feel on our picks. By the way, you owe one for Trey Turner. I'm tattling yes, I on do. you. Yes, no, you I'm should. Uh, so, yeah. I was, I was going to tattle on myself before you did. <laughs> Stay tuned for that. Uh, we have one transaction to cover. I figured we had some time to talk about that because there's only one transaction. We're going to do a team breakdown, which could which could literally take 30 seconds. <laughs> it could. It, I mean, maybe we'll stretch it out a little bit, but our Los Angeles Angels fantasy team preview could take 30 seconds. We'll see. So uh, that affords us some time to do two pitcher battles today. Again, we started this with the James Paxton-Carlos Rodon battle. It's two guys that are going similarly in ADP. Uh, that both of us, you know, that we feel kind of similarly about, and we kind of pick who we like. And we're not necessarily always on the same side. Sometimes we will be because Jason and I think about baseball very similarly. But I'm very interested to see how you feel about the the, the first of those two battles. Um, you guys, once you hear the names of the second one, you'll know where I'm going. So let's let's jump in on the one transaction that we have: Brandon Moss going to the KC Royals on a two-year deal. It's going to make uh, between right now that it's not it's not known. Uh, oh, it's a two year, twelve million, uh, fifteen million dollar deal. I thought I saw fifteen. I got twelve on MLB trade rumors. It's somewhere okay. around there, whatever. So it's backloaded. By the way, he's going to make between three and four mil this year, and then the rest, whatever it is, whether it's uh, the the remaining twelve mil or um, eight mil. Yeah, because I got all those free agents after this. Year. That's the thing, and so. They had to get somebody here. Does, now, do you think this spells the end of, um, like, Hosmer? Yeah. Because here's the thing. Let me, let me run down quickly. Before we get to Moss, let me tell you who's available or who's coming up for free agency here. Two of the guys they've already moved, Dyson and Davis. They've already went ahead and said, we're done We're done there. Um, but then you've also got Alcides Escobar, Lorenzo Cain, Mike Moustakis, and Eric Hosmer. So you got Four more core guys for them. I feel like two of them will be kept, will, will be signed, and and two the two others will be traded. I'm going to rule out Hosmer and Mustakas because they're both Boris clients. And they're too expensive, you think? I thought well, one of Hosmer those would, would be. be signed. I, I don't think it, with Boris, both of those guys are going to free agency. Okay. So they so well maybe they could do a Yankees then with Chapman trade one of them, get something back, and then try to re-sign them. Possibly. I mean, I know the Royals aren't necessarily getting in on big deals with, with Boris, but those are two homegrown guys that have been a big part of, of this surge for them. I don't know, you know, that you really want to make the other two, uh, Escobar at age 30 and Lorenzo Kane at age 31 with a lot of injury issues. I don't know if I want to sign those two long term. Is there a ch- What's the percentage chance that all four go? I think pretty high. I mean, oh, wow. uh, Kane's 31 right now. Yep. His, uh, he's repped by Josh Kusnick, uh, who has, uh, that, I believe he, he's got also got Michael Brantley. So those are two of the, two of the biggest clients he has. Uh, Moustakas is, is, is making, is in year two of a 14.3 million settlement, uh, to avoid arbitration. Hosper's making 12 and a quarter this year in his last year. Um, so that's the kind of jack he's going to be going up from there. He's going to be trying to get 18 million a year. 
Yeah, you would think. And then Escobar at, at 30 is in a legacy agency, but his, he's in the final year of his extension. Um, he got a, he signed a six year, 21 and three quarter deal, uh, back in 2012. So he's making six and a half this year. Um, Moustakis is at 8.7. Uh, 30 year old shortstop. I mean, if I'm the Royals, I want to move on, uh, from that as well. So I think all four are gone, to be honest. Wow. That's, I mean, I, I don't think you're out of bounds. Like I said, I, I kept, I've been saying they'll sign two. I still feel like Hosmer. I feel like if it's not, I think there's at least one, but I could be wrong here. Like you say, it is Boris and he's going to want to get paid big time. Um, and you you know, you could probably find a first baseman. He hasn't been that great. There hasn't been that much development, but I know he's, you know, the core guy. He's kind of the team leader now. Um, with Alex Gordon, I, I should say, I think Gordon's the team, the, the, the veteran. And they would leader. have to go, and they would have to go to the, the free agent market for a shortstop replacement. So possibly Escobar hangs around um, on something because mm-hmm. you look at their, you look at their depth chart on on roster resource, and yeah, it's pretty dry at shortstop. Uh, you've got uh, Ramon Torres on the forty man roster, but the they have that? nobody ranked. They have nobody ranked at shortstop. The Raul Mondesi Jr. right now is projected to get to most of bats at second base. They have him listed to get some depth at shortstop. Um, but that's not looking too good. No, it's not. So there's trouble there. Um, they got to figure some things out. So let's talk about Brandon Moss. Brandon Moss, for me, is a guy whose power plays anywhere, so I'm not particularly worried that he's going to Kaufman, which is a bit neutral slash leaning pitcher friendly. Um, you know, when this guy's on, he can hit 30 tanks anywhere. And really, it really, I mean, he broke out in Oakland for crying out loud. So that doesn't really concern me. It's really just a matter of health. Um, we've seen what, what happens when he's not really healthy. The batting average takes a hit and he becomes pretty empty power. Um, you know, 28 and 67 last year, homers and ribbies with a 225 average. Last year in particular with the homers surging, that just didn't have a lot of value for Brandon Moss. He's going to be 33. With a, with a health track record, but how do you feel about Brandon Moss? Is this somebody that you're going to be looking at for AL labor perhaps, or AL Todd, excuse me, or is this, are you, are you not that interested in him? What do you land on Moss? I'm interested in him if the Royals limit his at bat against lefties. I mean, you look at, you know, Jason Hanselman put something up on over at our raise blog, the process report.net, looking at available free agents, uh, split them up between projected weighted on base average between righties and lefties. And of the available free agents, Brandon Moss had the best projected weighted on base average versus right handed pitching. Right now, better than anybody, anybody else listed on that list. He was at three. I'm sorry, the second best. I take that back because, uh, Pedro Alvarez was at 352. Moss was at 334, but that's better than the other guys. Versus lefties, there's just nothing there. He's, he's below league average there at a even 300. So if you could stick him as the DH against right handed pitching and perhaps use Soler as the DH against lefties, I think it's a nice situation for the Royals and perhaps give Moss, you know, get him in that eight to 12 dollar range in a single league format. Uh, because we know what the batting average where it's going to be. You're you're signing him for bombs and runs driven in, mm-hmm. and everything else is gravy there. So uh, you want him platooned. I don't want him overexposed against lefties. I think they've got a situation there where they've got uh, they could do Cuthbert, they could do Orlando, they could do Solaire. They've got room on the bench to make this thing work. Yes, yeah, so he's going to uh, be there right now. Their verse righty DH for sure because they had Cuthbert penciled in as the full time DH which none of us ever really believed that that was going to be their plan. So now they might just have a natural platoon there between Moss and Cuthbert. 
He's going to hit down in the lineup, but I believe this is where Morales started when he came over, too, uh, to hit down in the lineup. And then if they end up trading Hosmer in season, um, which I think is extremely possible, uh, given you want something rather than nothing for him. Oh, that, or, yeah, you got – if you're not going to sign – Or you go the route – yeah, or you go the route – I mean, we should know if they're going to sign him here in the next six weeks because uh, I'm assuming they're going to say, yeah, no – uh, no negotiation during the season. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you try to do the, um, you know, do the qualifying offer bit and see and see where that goes. Uh, and hopefully, he signs with the team. And you get that. But I'd rather take the burden hand. And, and if you get a good offer for him during the season, you you go for it. Um, with that, with that, I mean, if they do a qualifying offer, possibly Escobar would take it. But he's the only guy that's going to take one. I agree. I agree. I think the others, uh, all three others, would go to free agency unless something happened with. Well, if Kane had a disastrous injury season, then they wouldn't offer it to him. So that that's moot there. But, uh, yeah. yeah, Brandon Moss going to be batting lower in the order. Power guy, like you said, if he is uh, limited to, to not facing lefties at all, he can he can be decent, maybe get that average back up closer to 250. Uh, and then there is some value there. But the fact that he would be losing playing time against lefties would would cut into his value somewhat. I'm going to be, be interested to see what Eno thinks about it too, because he is a big time Brandon Moss guy. So I'll give him a chance to weigh in on our next episode as well. But you know what? We got to clear some space here. We're going to need, we probably should just do a whole episode on this team breakdown because the Angels are amazing, man. They're just too good. Obviously, I'm kidding. They are. I don't know how we're going to squeeze this into one episode, but we are you know, certainly going we're going to try. We're going to try. Okay. We got to, we got to toughen up and just try to, to be concise about this amazing ball club here. Obviously, they have the best player in the game, Mike Trout. That goes for fantasy and real life, how, however you want to dissect it. Great. We're not even really going to talk about it. Like, what more can we say? He's awesome. Great. Take him with the first pick or you're dumb. Um, done. I got three questions about this team. Here's the thing. I don't really care about any of your answers. Okay? Is it fair to say that? Because this team is so bad. But I'll ask anyway. <laughs> Who earns the most saves on this team? I'll give you some candidates, and if you want to go off the board, that's fine. Houston Streets penciled in right now. Cam Bedrosian and Andrew Bailey are behind him. Who gets the most saves, and do you care about the 12 saves that they're going to get? Uh, I don't really care too much. I mean, I, I don't. I think Houston Street gets, gets the least of all three, to be honest with you. I, I actually agree um, with you. By the way, the scary thing about this team is they're projected to have a $162 million payroll this year. Oh, $162 million, and they're still awful. Um, that is that is just horrendous. And uh, you know, 46 of that's tied up in their two Paying best players, but that's how much money they have tied up. It's a million that's how much team. money they have tied up because the Josh Hamilton deal. Oh, they still right. have Josh Hamilton, money to people. $46.4 million. Oh, so there's part of your issue right there too. Wow. I mean, if you want to go with the spin rate, darling Andrew Bailey, you certainly mm-hmm. could. Uh, Bedrosian with the better stuff, uh, better velo, you certainly could that way. I just don't. I really don't want a part of Houston Street, and I'd rather. I mean, they've got Andrew Bailey for a reason. Uh, I kind of I'm leaning towards that way with the veteran experience over the younger kid. Okay, I think that's fair. I like what Bedrosian offers uh, in terms of the raw stuff, like you said. But yeah, they scooped up they scooped up Bailey at the end of last year, uh, and he looked pretty good for them. Only albeit eleven innings, the skills weren't massive. He stopped walking guys, but he didn't really strike guys out. Two thirty eight ERA, ninety point ninety seven WHIP. I'm not going to get hung up on the results of an eleven and uh, third inning. So I'm looking at seventeen percent strikeout rate, four percent walk rate. I like the latter, but the former's really ugly. So if I'm dabbling, first off, it's an AL only, hundred percent. 
uh, and I'm I'm just gonna take my shot on Bedrosian, hoping that that he like I I totally get what you're saying about Bailey, but in terms of fantasy, I'd still want Bedrosian because I think even him as a one to two dollar middle reliever is better than than Bailey even if he is getting the saves, and I do think that. Barring an injury, Street's going to enter the season with it too. So if you're getting Bailey or Bedrosian, you're probably not getting saves out of the gate. Like, you know, Street's been their guy. They're paying him nine mil. Um, he's going to get that first crack at it, even though he probably shouldn't. So have fun doing that. Uh, if, if you're one of those that likes to speculate on saves, this is the heartache that you, uh, that you force upon yourself. So be careful and enjoy yourself. Uh, who are you betting on more? Matt Shoemaker as the 65th starting pitcher off the board or Garrett Richards as the 69th? They both have issues, of course. Matt Shoemaker got hit in the head. Very scary situation that, of course, you know, ended his season, but more importantly, uh, was a major health concern for him. He is coming back from that. Everything's good on the, the health front for him. So now he can focus back on pitching. And then Garrett Richards, of course, uh, I believe there was new, wasn't it? The situation where it's like, he is getting Tommy John. And then a few days later, it's like, psych, he's not. And yep. uh, he, po- he postponed it. He's, he did the rest and rehab sort of stuff. Probably did platelet-rich plasma treatments like most of the guys do. So he, he didn't get it. And now he's expected to be ready for opening day. Garrett Richards obviously can be a stud when he's on, but we just don't know what's going to happen here. But which of the two are you betting on? They're pretty similarly priced, uh, again, at 65th for Shoemaker and 69th for Richards. Nice uh, as far as starting pitchers off the board. Who, who do you like? Um, I like Shoemaker, but quite a bit, actually. Ooh, okay. I mean, when you look at when you look at Richards, he did have his surgery in May. I mean, if, if to me, it follows too much of the Alex Cobb timeline because that's about Alex Cobb had his in late April. And then Alex Cobb, people were taking spending draft picks, not reserve picks, but spending money and late round draft picks on Alex Remember, Cobb this year. And we clowned that last year. Like that was one that we were yes, easily we on where we were like, What are these people doing? Especially on the team uh like the like the Rays who we knew were they were gonna baby the hell out of him. Yes. We clowned it. Um and then it almost feels the same way with Richards here. Now I'd like Richards when healthy. I'll take him all day long because the stuff is just really good. But every TJ surgery is different. Well, no, he didn't. He uh, didn't get TJ though. He 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 did rest and rehab. That was the thing. He said no, and so he just. I thought he eventually had it. No, I, he sat out. All right, that's right. He just won't undergo it. But still, I mean, I, that's that's to the to that's that point. That's almost scarier. That he's by not the way, gonna undergo it. Yeah, correct. It, it is a little scarier to me because um, they said they found a tear. I mean, it's going down the. It's going down the Tanaka route where he didn't have it. Now, Tanaka's been effective since he's come back, but I don't think Tanaka's been really the same guy Tanaka, since, you know. I'll push back a little bit. There. I think he's been pretty okay. damn good. Um, you know, he's been a little bit muted on the Ks, particularly last year. His K rate wasn't, wasn't what we were expecting. In fact, it's kind of gone down yearly, 938174 for the Ks. That's kind of what I was getting at. And, and so that, that's definitely fair, but nice 307 ERA. Point one or one oh eight uh whip. So that was nice for Tanaka. Like I know people kind of feel like there's an anvil above his head just in the when the cord is fraying, like it's a Wiley Coyote com- uh, cartoon and he's about to have that Tommy John any moment. But the thing is a lot of guys have tears and it's just when we learn about them it, it's scarier. I think Richards is probably a, a probably further along on on his problem though. He probably has like a bigger tear, you know, because he had to sit out the entire like 
we haven't seen that much missed time from Tanaka. So I would assume that Richards is his worst. Uh, and he did go with stem cell injection. He was shut down for a long time. Like it, it's a tough gamble. So I get why you're going the shoemaker route. This could obviously flip on a dime in March though, right? If they're both pitching, well, let me ask you that though. If they're both pitching, they're making their, their mile markers, you know, supposed to throw 80 pitches. He throws all 80. Uh, you know, results are solid. Not that we would get hung up on the runs results, but if his strikeouts are there, his velocity is there, would you shift or, or would, is this shoemaker even if both are healthy? This is still to be Shoemaker, even both are healthy. I mean, I can, I can comfortably say that Shoemaker's going to go 180 innings. I can't say that with Richards. Richards going to have more strikeouts, but he's also going to walk more guys. With Shoemaker, if you look at the second half, once he remembered, hey, my fastball kind of sucks. I better stop, stop throwing it as it. much as I do. And then he, he really, I mean, he was heavy. He was so heavy with his splitter. He was throwing it more than his fastballs. And he, he basically goes up and down with his fastballs, then gets you to go with, with the, uh, the chase of splitter. I mean, he was featuring that thing and he got it in the second half. And, this, and it wasn't like he was using it for strikeouts. He was throwing that thing for strikes and getting weak contact, you know, getting guys to hit it into the ground, getting guys that make weak contact off it or, or pop it up, those types of things. So it's like his strikeout rate went down a little bit when he was using that pitch, but he was using it to, to get to throw strikes in with a purpose. I mean, his second half ratios were a three ERA and a one twelve whip. Mm-hmm. And you compare that before when he was a four forty five and one thirty two when he was throwing too many fastballs. So with that transition, that works. So if he can keep doing that, uh, more power to him. Again, I'm in my head, I, I'm projecting Shoemaker to have thirty five to forty more innings pitched at least Shoemaker, and that's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's a lot. That's a difference between those two, and that makes up the different strikeouts okay. and the fact that he's probably going to pick up a few more wins. To me, that's why I think it's pretty easy to go Shoemaker. Okay, uh, I like Richards better than you do, but I I um, am actually with you that I would take Shoemaker ahead of him right now. At least I think I will uh, as we kind of wait and see see where Richards is at. But I'm a little bit more optimistic on Richards, but we're both pretty optimistic on Shoemaker, especially because his issue, you know, what was severe and 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 awful that he got hit in the head, but it's not something that's going to pop back up particularly. Well, it, I mean, I guess it could, if there's an issue where he's, you know, nervous and, and, and pitches differently, but I don't, I'm hoping we don't have anything like that. It'll be great to kind of see him get back on the mound and, and, and get back to pitching. I'm sure he's a little anxious to step back on that mound for the first time, but once he gets over that, the nerves of that and uh, gets back to pitching the way he does, I think Shoemaker will be solid. All right, does Ben Revere bounce back? He had 35 stolen bases per season prior to 2016. I finally take a shot on, you know what? Hey, man, I'll just take a shot here. I'll get some stolen bases. It'll be great. I kind of planned the rest of my draft around it. I I went hard on him, uh, bidding-wise in an NL auction. Completely blew up in my face. 103 uh, games played, 14 stolen bases, 217 average. This was a guy who hit 300 with 35 stolen bases every year. In the bank, you know, empty batting average, but who cares? You knew what you were getting and you could feel comfortable with it. And he, you know, and then he completely falls apart. Can Ben Revere bounce back with the Angels? Or, or does he? Not say, can he? Of course he can. Do you think he will? I think he will. I mean, he got, if you recall, he got hurt like the first game of the Very season early. going after a catch. And with an oblique injury that never really recovered. And I mean, he has no power to begin with. 
But then if you're going to be hurt in, in your core, it's going to take whatever you have left. It's going to do nothing. And you look at his numbers, and it really plays out in his batting average on balls in play at 234, which was a hundred over 100 points worse than the year before. Yeah. I mean, he just couldn't make. He couldn't make good contact. And, we, again, you talked about batting average, 294, 305, 306, 306, and then 217. And on base percentage of 333, 338, 325, 342, 260. And it's like it, this really feels like an outlier year. And even with that, he still ended up stealing 14 bags when he was barely on base. If he can get back to, like, almost split the difference, that's going to put him upwards of 20 steals. And right now – he can be had. I mean, there is oh. there is not a Ben Revere market. No, there's uh, no If cost. you want him, go get him. <laughs> there is no cost to him. So when we talk about this team being god-awful, yes, there's Trout. Yes, there's Pujols. I mean, if, if, if Revere could flash any bit of on-base ability, when I say he's freely had, he's 343 in ADP right now. That's huge. If he could flash any on-base ability, he goes to the top of this lineup because right now, Yunel Escobar is projected up there because Yunel Escobar can get on base. Good seasons in a row, but, yeah. he's, but he sucks on the bases. He can't run. He's slow. He's actually really slow for an infielder. You, you, a lot of times you he... look at his on-base average, though, man. 350-something, he scored 65 runs or 68 runs last year. How, how does that happen? Trout, You're on base that much and you've got Trout behind Calhoun you and, and you Trout. can't get on base? Yeah, that's it's just oh my god, how does how does this happen? And I looked at it and I was like, okay, maybe it's because he was hitting. No, he had just about every at bat last year in the leadoff spot. So it's it's really puzzling. He is just that god awful on the bases. He belongs down further in the lineup, but he's up there because on you're not you don't want to put Trout in leadoff anymore. They want to Calhoun where he is, and by default, you know Escobar is your leadoff hitter. Mm-hmm. But if Revere can flash, if he looks good in camp. You could see him going, and right now, so if you have early drafts and you grab Revere late, and all of a sudden he becomes a leadoff hitter in front of Calhoun, Trout, and Pujols, his value goes up. See, I, I don't take um, a lot of times. I don't take the the speed rabbits because I think they're overpriced, and and that's usually why my my you know dissent against them, particularly like Billy Hamilton, um, D Gordon, those types, the, the speed only guys. I like VR because he does more Trey Turner, you know that type, but with Revere. Now that he costs nothing, I'm back in. In fact, he's going to be my favorite target on this team, which we'll get to here in, in a second. And we'll just transition. He's thirty picks. He's thirty picks behind Revere, uh, behind uh, Jared Dyson. See, and I would just, they're at best they're going to do the same. I think for if Dyson and Revere, I think they could be very similar. So why wouldn't I wait two more rounds at this cost? I'm 100% with you. He's out, he's priced to buy right now, and I do think he bounces back because he should be healthy. You know, an off season to heal should be enough to get Ben Revere back on track. He's my favorite target on this team because there aren't a lot of targets to, to have. That's part of it. But also because at that cost, I will, and then I don't have to plan my draft around him. I've already done most of my draft, and then he's being slotted in for the speed. Hoping that uh, everything else clicks and maybe I can get 85 runs and a 295 batting average with it. So Ben Revere is my favorite target. Is he yours as well, or do you prefer Shoemaker or somebody else? Uh, no, Ben Revere is my target because he costs absolutely nothing. nothing. I mean, if we if let's let's take a step back and look at if, if February and March go really well for him, and let's say Sosha, who is another one of these managers that likes to run, okay, he's my leadoff hitter right now. Rajai Davis, similar skill set, is has a 225 ADP. We come back to Revere's at 343. 
they both couldn't they both could be leadoff hitters for their teams on whatever the day of the first day of the season is April second, mm-hmm. April third, something like that. So, you know, when you look at the current pricing, I'll take Revere all day long. Davis is gonna cost you a little something well, and, because he's done it the last couple of years. Exactly. Revere is just free for the taking. Whereas things could really clear up for him in, in spring training. And, you know, you go back to the last couple of seasons, you mentioned his track record. You know, there, there's a, there's a, a $30 season in there recently. There's a 28, I'm talking single league formats, mind you, but there are t- uh, multiple 25 plus dollar seasons there in the last couple of years for him uh, until last year just kind of stunk, uh, took everybody off him. He's like, Oh yeah, I'm done. Forget it. Whereas I'm with you. And when I'm looking at I'm looking at HQ, looking at the numbers, 27, 15, 34, 29, and then last year's four dollar stink yep. bomb. So those are the dollar those are the dollar uh, amounts uh, in twelve team AL only formats, and that that's a guy that's barely cracking the top three fifty right now. I like Rajay, but uh, I'm completely with you that you know when you compare the price of those two, they can both be batting leadoff. I think there's going to be more punch in in Rajay's bat, so I, I don't mind getting him. But you look at Revere, and if you want speed, and you're looking for a speed only guy, he's the guy. Uh, I'm actually going to kind of—I mean, unless you really have one, I'm going to—I think I'm going to skip stay away though, because I don't think anybody's overpriced on their team, because it's Trout, and then everybody like. I think Calhoun's pretty fairly priced. Maybe you disagree. Most of this team's a stay away. <laughs> but, but yeah, they're a stay away because like, who cares? Usually stay away is like, oh, they're overpriced or whatever. But you know, Calhoun's going pick 185. Uh, Pujols, let me see where he's going. Like he could maybe be one if you think he's a little bit overpriced, but he's going at pick 131 ahead of Adrian Gonzalez, Brandon Belt. Eh, you know, I don't know. Like he's not like a massive stay away. I'm probably not taking him there. But I, I don't know. I just whatever. I, I don't want to pick on them too. How much, bad? So. How bad is Junel Escobar? His ADP is four forty six yeah, right I, now. That's a projected leadoff hitter, and he's four forty six. I would actually, I'll take him for free to be honest. Particularly in OBP <laughs> league, obviously his ADP would probably go up in an on base league. But uh, yeah, nobody wants Junel Escobar, and I totally get it because he's he's almost an empty or not almost. He is an empty batting average because he doesn't run. Like you said, he's painfully slow doesn't really hit for any punch so yeah he actually sucks I'm, I'm looking at it now yeah you can get some batting average out of him if he's like your last guy um and, and that's you have a bunch of batting average anchors and you want to try to protect and slot him in at various points uh but you know escobar's nothing special. there's nothing special off the radar Houston street maybe my only runaway but that's too, that's just like a gimme exactly and off the radar is another one that's really difficult to do because it's either those three really highly picked guys trout Calhoun Pujols and then everybody else is off the radar and usually for good reason but we kind of already talked like Shoemaker Revere I mean we're just kind of rehashing names that's why this one is is so easy to do like do you have anybody that's like completely off the radar are you like a Carlos Perez guy or something um are are you in on you know let me see where he's going I got I got I got one that might qualify for off the radar here give me one second I gotta see where Tyler Skaggs is going. while you're doing that it's not like they even have prospects coming up either I mean this system is not it's not the worst in the in the Uh, league but you you look I think it is I mean who may be well it, it it's in the bottom five I don't know if it's the worst but it's it's in the bottom five um, maybe Alex Meyer comes up this sometime this year. I'm looking at uh, MLB ETA from Roster they Resource. They've got Alex guy. Meyer and they've got Nate Smith and the, and they've got Kenyon Middleton. Those are the only guys Never they even project to come up during the Never year. Heard of Alex Meyer is the only one that that rings a bell with me. Um, Tyler Skaggs might be an, a bit off the radar guy right now. 
96. Nate, well, I'm sorry, Nate Smith's another one that rings a bell. I've heard um, that but name, yeah. The, uh, yeah, Alex Myers is the one that should ring a bell because he was the tall guy, almost as tall as the Liberty Bell um, statue. 96th uh, starter off the board, 334 for Tyler Skaggs. There's my off-the-radar pick. Uh, I, I still I still have some love for him. He could do some things. But next to impact prospects on the rundown, I put LOL. I'm, I'm actually going to push back on you a little bit. I, I think that they easily have the worst system. They got zero guys in the top 100, although so did the Royals and Diamondbacks. So that's not, they're not the only ones with that dubious distinction. But I just, I don't have anything. There, there's nothing good coming up. I don't know who's in, uh, I guess I should see who, who's any good for KC. They might not have anybody either. Obviously they don't have anybody that's top 100. I know Arizona, they did the, um, they did the preview on MLB Now the other day. That's when Eno was on. They were talking like Anthony Banda, Socrates Brito, Alex. There's this pretty bad too. Socrates. Like Socrates is about the only fantasy viable one who could do some things. He's a bit of a dynamic uh, fantasy guy who can have some speed and punch. KC, uh, I think KC is above both of those. So it, it's between Arizona and, and the Angels. So you said bottom five. I'm going to say bottom two. And, it, and however you want to go with Angels, Diamondbacks, those are the two worst though for sure. Let's move on. Do you have any final thoughts? On, I'll give you a final thought on the Angels, and let's move on because th- this is terrible. Uh, get a get a better if they're your favorite team, and if you're listening, Jock Thompson, I'm sorry. Um, get a better team. That Suck. that is just that's coming from a Rays fan. Turn it y'all. off. Turn, turn it in. Yeah, turn it turn it on for every Trout and Fools at bat, and maybe Calhoun, Todd Zola, but the rest of you, just like yeah, I'm done. Um, it's, it's that rough. that's just not pretty. It's, it's that is not it's, pretty. It's a rough situation. That there's not a whole lot of uh, light at the end of the tunnel either. All right, let's talk some pitcher battles here. And we're going to do a high-end one and more of a, a mid-tier one. Start with the high-end one. Aaron Sanchez versus Danny Duffy. Aaron Sanchez, 23rd starter off the board, going pick 105. Um, squished in between these two is Cy Young winner Rick Porcello. And then Danny Duffy goes pick pitcher 25 at pick 109. So they're very close. Uh, they are both you know had big breakouts last year. I said in my first ADP piece on pitchers that – uh, Danny Duffy had the better stuff, and I got a lot of pushback on that. I stand by it. Um, I like I like Sanchez's stuff. I, I do judge a lot on swing and miss, not just strikeout rate, but swing and miss in general. And I know that Sanchez's stuff induces a lot of weak contact, and he certainly plays a role there. But whenever you're contact dependent, uh, you can go the wrong way. Like you can just get unlucky. Whereas if you're missing bats, it's hard to get unlucky when you're missing bats. Conversely, Danny Duffy does allow too many homers. So there, you know, there's pluses and minus to both. I do love both, uh, in general, just in terms of watching them pitch and, and from like a quote unquote real baseball standpoint. I know you and I have talked that we're a little bit concerned on Sanchez because he added a hundred innings to his workload. And that might be your, right. your big reasoning. So I don't want to steal, walk all over that. So who do you pick between Sanchez and Duffy? <sighs> I mean, the the workload increase is definitely an issue for me. But I said the same thing last year about Marcus Stroman, and it never materialized. So uh, we kind of then we have to discount it. I, I'm leading Duffy here for a few reasons. When we look at a couple of things, contact within the strike zone, Duffy allows less contact within the strike zone. We're talking 87 to 81 percent, 81 percent for Duffy. First pitch strikes, Duffy gets ahead more. Swinging strike rate. There's a there's almost a Massive. five percentage point difference, eight point two to twelve point nine in favor of Duffy. And out of swing rate, 
and that's where Duffy gets guys to expand their zones, whereas Sanchez doesn't. Uh, to me, it just when you look at that swinging strike rate for a guy with his velocity and that and that breaking ball that he has to get that low of a swinging strike rate, that that's concerning for me. Where Duffy's getting it, he's getting the swing and miss. If he needs one, he can get one. And yeah, I know his home run rate was almost double of what uh, Sanchez's was, but that's because he's the fly ball pitcher of the mm-hmm. two, and and Sanchez gets the ball on the ground. But it, for those other reasons and the fact that again, I still do have that workload concern, I'd probably lean Duffy here seven out of ten times. Our new uh, our our new mash writer, uh, Mike Sun, Doctor Mike Sun. I don't know if it's Sunny or Sun. I'm, I do know the name. I'm going yes. son. Recently followed Remember, we, yeah, we talked, he talked to us, I think the last time we talked about Aaron Sanchez, he tweeted us and he, before he was working at Fangraphs and said You're something right. about right. Sanchez and says don't, he said don't freak out too much about that and he had some, he sent us some research. Yeah, he had some him. research they'd done that the workload thing isn't necessarily some major killer that you have to worry about. So that has, uh, heartened me. To be honest, because I I want to be in on Aaron Sanchez, I I love taking him, but I do see the 100 inning jump, and I'm like, okay, breathe, chill out, don't go too crazy. But I do like him. It's Duffy for me. I put that in the piece. I said I'm probably bypassing both Sanchez and Porcello to just get Duffy. Um, I do think home run issues they can be a problem. They can be a career problem. We see plenty of guys who consistently allow them. But I think with his stuff, uh, with Danny Duffy's uh, ability. Two missed bats and home runs have never been a problem before. Uh, since this is a newfound issue, I think it's something that maybe he can, he can work on. The stuff got better. He probably, you know, he's still kind of figuring it out a little bit last year, even though he's been around for a while. This was his first big breakout season. That changeup really evolved. And so I think he can learn some things, be a little bit more, uh, fine with the command as, you know, as opposed to the control, which took a big jump. That was the thing. We saw a lot better control this year, but the command went away. If you can kind of meet those in the middle, maybe walk a few more, push that 6% walk rate back up to 8%, which is about average. But if you cut that home run rate at the same time to about 0.75, that would be a worthy trade-off, even though it would result in a few more walks. So I'm going to go Duffy here, but from the last time you and I spoke about Sanchez, I'm a bit more in on him. We preached caution because of that, uh, that workload issue. And we found some research. Mm-hmm. We were given some research that said, don't be so freaked out on that. So that's not the reason that I'm going against Sanchez. It's just that I like Duffy better from a, from a fantasy standpoint because of that strikeout, right? One thing I will say, and, and this is not to be a hedge. I'm fully in on Duffy over Sanchez, but it would not completely surprise me if Sanchez increased his swinging strike rate, because it's not like he lacks dominating stuff. You mentioned the big hammer curve, which is a, a devastator for sure. And he does throw 95 on average with that with that nasty sinker. And if he started missing a little bit more and maybe uh, incorporate a few more four seamers at the top of the zone to, to pair off of that sinker, I think he could get his strike, swinging strike rate up to about 10, 11%, and then you're going to get more strikeouts from him. And that, that can make it a really interesting battle between these two. But for now, it's Duffy for both of us, uh, and that's where we're standing. But again, we did back off a little bit on that workload concern for Sanchez. So if you do prefer Sanchez, don't feel so bad about the, uh, about the workload piece. All right. This next one, again, is a mid-level, uh, mid-tier sort of guys, both with, Colossal wards, maybe even closer to the back end if you're in like a 10 or 12 team mixer because we're talking pitcher number 60, Robbie Ray at pick 222, and Michael Pineda at, I lost him here. Where did you go, Michael Pineda? Scrolling, scrolling. No, he's supposed to be right now. Oh, he's directly ahead of him and I couldn't find it. 
<laughs> Sweet life, Paul. Uh, pitcher 59 at pick 221. So they're literally a pick apart, a pitcher apart. They're, they're, they're very much, uh, paired there. We saw what, uh, they, they both have skills and then horrible command. They allow too much, uh, huge contact. We saw 200 plus strikeouts from Robbie Ray. And usually that portends a lot better results than what he got, but he doesn't command the ball regularly. And so he allows a ton of hard contact that's of his, of his own volition here. Like, uh, it's, it's his own issue. I don't think it's just bad luck. And I think that's always been the, my argument for Pineda as well is that he has the amazing strikeout and walk ratio. They're, they're brilliant, but a 1.4 homer per nine and a 340 Babbitt says to me that He's doing something wrong. I don't look at these home run per fly ball rates for these two, which is 17 and 16% between Pineda and Ray respectively, and say that they're getting unlucky. Maybe there's a tinge of bad luck, but they're contributing to it because this is not a new thing either, especially for Pineda. I mean, the same exact thing that he did in, in 15. So they both have upside. There, there's going to be their big believers out there that's going to push them higher than these 59 and 60 picks in a lot of drafts. In fact, their their upper range is 160 for Pineda and 177 for Ray. So there's going to be believers in a lot of drafts. Um, but who do you pick between the two? God, it pains me to say Michael Pineda, but there's so much to like here. If you were if you were to take away the oh, name, yeah. and I told you I'm looking at a pitcher with a 27% strike rate, strikeout rate, a 67% first pitch strike rate, a 14% swing strike rate, and a 35% out of swing zone. I mean, all those numbers are better than Duffy. All of those are mm-hmm. better than Duffy. And but it's Michael Pineda because he'll get ahead 0-2 and leave a fat one it's out. It's so over annoying. The get crush. It is so. It's so fun. Why are you to throwing watch anything pitch. in the zone reason, at 0-2? There's a reason why we call him Michael Pinata because that's what happens. I mean, he could be come up with that. He could be cruising along and then boom, 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 done. Or sometimes right out of the gate, he just gets crushed and can't make it out of Mm -hmm. the first inning. It's just so maddening because when he's on, he's really on. He looks, you could see it. But if you were to hide this name and make me pick any of these four pitchers based off their 2016 skills, I would have. We probably both would have chosen Pineda, and that's really that, that's the tractor beam that pulls us back in here. I mean, with Robbie Ray, and I think you and I got into a a, uh, a Twitter discussion around um, around him, and like people were saying, "Oh no, it's bad luck." I'm like, "No, that that's his own doing, him. dude." He gives up. He, you know, he can't command. The, he doesn't. He loses command of his fastball later in the game, or he uh, leaves something up, and he gets hard because we we talked about this later. Uh, late in the season last year about his third time through the batting order. And it was God awful. I mean, it just went up and up and up and because he started tiring it. And when he tired, he lost his command. It's fat, Um, just fat pitches. And in Arizona, that's an eat. And same with uh, Pineda in New York. Those are two parks where you're going to get punished too. You get punished extra for those those little issues. You know, if, if either of them is in Oakland and they have the same issue the third time through, well, maybe they have a couple warning track fly balls. They they skate out of the inning and boom, they finish seven innings with two runs. When it's uh, when it's these two in Arizona and New York, it goes from a six inning gem to six and a third, five runs in in a flash too. Like you said, you, you mentioned how that can happen with Pineda. The the epitome of Pineda. Like just the the perfect microcosm of who he is was a two start stretch back in 2015, and it was May 10th, home against Baltimore, where he went seven innings, uh, six run, six hits, one run, 16 strikeouts, and zero walks. Five days later, I watched that game. Five days later in KC, five and a third, ten hits, five runs, one strikeout. 
Like that is that is Pineda yeah. in a nutshell. And you know that Baltimore, great power slugging team that year. KC was was good for sure, and they were that high contact team, so you wouldn't have expected a lot of strikeouts. But that contact, that poor command, they just got hits, 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 and boom, five and a third, five runs. And like that's that's the guardrail, the guardrail that he can do. He did it again uh, about a month later, June seventeenth of, of fifteen, six and two thirds, one hit, one run, nine strikeouts against Miami. The five days later, three and a third, eleven hits, eight runs against Philly. And it's like, well, just last year, just last year, he struck out eight or more guys in an outing twelve times. But he also gave up five or more runs eleven That's times. Insane, Jason. Michael Pineda's mad. And the inconsistency of it all. I mean, there was a game. I, there was, you know, it's always going to be around the Rays for me. But I remember a couple of different starts in April. He had one in late April, and I found the line for it: five innings, ten hits, seven runs, four homers. One walk, nine strikeouts. That to me is perfect. Yeah, Michael even in Pineda one game, right that's, there. A, that's a great, that's a great Michael Pineda. Michael and then he Johnson. ruined my, then he ruined my birthday uh, in late September. Five and a third, four hits, no earned runs, one walk, eleven strikeouts in, against in Tampa, Tampa Bay. Yeah. So that's the same team, four months apart. Blah blah blah. But that first one, that's that's the kind of thing you're talking about, where you know it, it kind of it kind of snowballs. Where here comes the home run. Here, and it's all really command. It's not anything else. Um, and he had he only had five starts where he allowed more than a homer in a start, but a four versus the Rays, a three versus Boston, a three versus Houston, two versus Baltimore, a two versus Tampa Bay. Those were the those were everything else. He's going to allow a home run. You know it's coming. And I think I jokingly tweet every time it's like that that signature Michael Pineda home run that he's going to allow. You only have to hope that nobody there's, no, there's nobody on yep. base. But it happens because you know it's coming, and it just about always does. He gave up a home run, looks like, at about uh, 15 of his 32 outings last year. That's what I call year. OBI uh, syndrome, Jason. One bad inning. And and yeah. it, it is clockwork. Like, it, it will happen. And uh, obviously not every outing, but but you, you just you feel it. And you can kind of hear the Jaws music playing, like, when it's coming, too. Like, when you see an 0-2 batter <laughs> that, go, that gets walked – so like that's the start of it. That's like then it. Oh God, you had him O two, and then you went four straight balls. Are you kidding me? And then a a bleeder just under D.D. Gregorius's glove. Now it's first and second. Dun, 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 dun. And then it's Evan Longoria three run homer on the fat pitch. O one meatball that he throws. Boom, and you get jawsed up, and you're gonna need a bigger roster i don't know I, I couldn't come up with something i mean it's gonna it's gonna be a test of deserved run average because you look at pineda his dra from last year was 258 raise was 295 no uh kershaw oh, okay, but he was like three. top five or something right he's he's uh top okay. he's top six so that that's really the scary thing is it, again you can see all the pieces here. I think in my home league Pineda is a, rostered at fourteen dollars. If he was single digits, I would absolutely make a play for him. I just I'm not comfortable making a trading for him at that price. I'd rather him go back into the draft and let's see what happens there. But I, I would have no problem rostering him at a single digit value. Um, and this is AL um, mm -hmm. only league, uh, mixed league. I, I'm definitely not going double digits so with him. Uh, but it's there's, there's so much to like here. It's just a matter of when's that season. When's it all going to come together? I, I, I got some heat with the Pineda thing. The, the reason I'm like so adamant and, and I've jumped on Chris Liss's Michael Pineda thing was because there was a point last year. I can't remember exactly when I wrote it. Um, I think it was like maybe May or something. Like you know, th three guys you should cut 
and and what I meant was like ten team mixed leagues, right? Obviously, in deeper leagues, you can hang on the guys uh, much longer. But I was like three guys, you just it's time to cut. And I put Pineda on there, and of course the comments just cited his strikeout walk rates and said, no, how can you cut this guy? And I'm like, well, because I actually watch him, and uh, and and he has no command. And of course, I was right on that one, right? I shouldn't say of course because I'm not always right. I'm I'm often wrong, and I, I I will take my heat when I am. But this was one where where I got it right, and you know. It, it, it's not that I've always hated Pineda, right? This isn't one of these irrational things where I'm like, I just can't stand the guy. I've actually been on the Pineda train enough. Like this comes from experience. I've got right. the, uh, the, you know, I, I've been through the battle with, with, with Pineda. First off, I was in on the 2011 season and so I had him in a couple keeper leagues. So I got scarred there initially when he missed two full seasons and, and ruined that, that keeper contract. Um, but then I jumped in. I had him as a rookie. I took him as an eight dollar pitcher. It was awesome in a rookie. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. In eleven, Wars, and it was terrific. It was amazing. But then, yeah. uh, okay, so he comes back with the Yankees, has that little seventy six inning blip where he looks really good. I'm jumping back in, and then I sat through all of fifteen, and I took all the hits where he had an amazing strikeout rate, amazing walk rate, but a huge home run rate. And he ends up with a four thirty seven ERA and a one twenty three WHIP for one hundred sixty one innings. Another thing about Pineda is. In addition to what we're talking about with the with the performance piece, there's always a lingering health risk. I just mentioned he missed two full years. So health has always been an issue, too. He's going to be 28 years old. He's never seen the other side of uh, 180 innings. Uh, 175 and two-thirds was his peak last year. That's another thing that you have to concern yourself with as well. Granted, it's not like you're paying for a price where you have to get 200 innings out of him at, at pick 221, but that's just another factor that even our luck, if you draft him, is that you'll get him, he'll actually start to keep the ball in the park and start to see some things going, and then he'll get hurt and he'll end up pitching 112 innings. Like that, that would be the Michael Pineda story, uh, wrapped up perfectly. Uh, if that happens, I, I don't hope that happens. I'm not wishing for him to get hurt by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying the way it's been going with him is that throwing another roadblock up just wouldn't surprise me. So um, so between the two, you're going Pineda, I mean, right? The thing with him, yeah, the thing, and the thing is with him, I would strongly encourage people to go look at the MLB.com uh, TV archives. Go watch one of those good starts and then go watch yes. one of those bad starts yes, to yes, see what yes. we're talking about. If you want those dates, April 24th versus Tampa Bay, 920 versus Tampa Bay. That's the good and the ugly of Pineda. You can you see, see when he's on. And he's great. And I, I even remember that one game. It wasn't like, you know, he was cruising, and then it just completely fell apart, and, and just you know, cascaded a lot like Ivan Nova starts used to. And guess where he uh, pitched? But that's and the thing with he Pineda. He does. Him, yeah, I mean, that's the thing with with Pineda. That's you know, he doesn't have when when the command's off. He, not like his stuff is great enough where he can get away with it. Uh, but it truly really just makes him look bad. But I just you got to watch him pitch. Because if you play the name game and look at the numbers, he's going to jump out at you as he always does. But when when, when there's a gap between skills and outcomes, that's when you're like, okay, what am I missing? Just go watch and he you'll see what Arizona, you're missing. He faced Arizona in Arizona, and I was really hoping that he had faced Robbie Ray so then you could watch both. But actually, it was it was against Granke, <laughs> so that, that would have been perfect because uh, he got knocked around there. So if they'd both gotten knocked around, that would have been kind of perfect. But, yeah, I mean – I'm, I'm softening a little bit on Ray. I, I used, I was, you know, as recently as like a month ago before I started doing some research, I was a million percent, like just no, stop, don't talk to me about it. But you rarely see guys put up 200 strikeouts 
and, and, and there not be something there. Like that's, that's enough smoke to say that there's some fire that if he can work some things out, there's, there's going to be some upside. So I've softened on my anti Ray stance. I remember actually going to the map for Ray, um, just kind of after reading stuff about him, kind of backing Dave Dabrowski when he traded Doug Fister for him. Cause I love Doug Fister. Yeah. And I was, you know, we all thought, Hey, they should have gotten more for Doug Fister. Right. And I said, well, you know, Dabrowski knows what he's doing. He's made so many good trades that maybe there's something more here. So even though it's happened in, uh, Arizona, it kind of vindicates, uh, it, it kind of vindicates what, what, Dombrowski did with that trade and they got Shane Green for him. There's no way you could have known Shane Green was going to get an aneurysm and basically kind of injuries have, have mauled his last two seasons. But, uh, he was onto something with Ray and imagine Ray and Pineda in a better park. That, that alone would be a major help. Can we just get every decent pitcher like this with, with great skills and a home run issue? Can we get them all in PNC park? Is there any way? Can they have a 14 man rotation? That would be awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> all right, Jason, that's going to wrap us up. Gave you guys a couple pitcher battles, covered the worst team in the universe, talked some Brandon Moss, and, and, and Jason has Max Scherzer in the first round. Uh, what's the schedule like next week? Uh, next week, good to go. I don't have any travel. I don't have any travel next Sunday. Yes, February All right, 5th will we'll work. We'll cover a better t- I mean, it can't be worse, so we'll cover a better team in the team breakdowns then. Until then, take care, Jason. All right, see you, man.